can't read the button. I'm Rayanne and I'm an alcoholic. Thank you, Rick, for um, asking me to uh, share my story. It is, I used to not think it was a privilege, but it actually is a privilege to speak. Still nervous. And uh, I kept telling Sammy, ah, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. And all of a sudden my stomach's going, Um Well, let's see. I am from Corcoran. I wasn't originally. I am from Fresno. I was born and raised there to two wonderful parents. Um, one alcoholic and one codependent, may have been an alcoholic, but not sure. And um, I grew up in an alcoholic home, so there was a lot of chaos all the time. And I was the first child, I have two older brothers, and I was the one that made sure everything in the house was okay. And I didn't like the fighting that went on. I, I always, if, if I was good, mom and dad wouldn't fight. That's how I grew up. And um, from really early on, before I even drank, I, uh, I was the only girl, and daddy's little girl, and I can manipulate him, and I did. And I continued to manipulate him for a long time. Um, alcohol was never allowed in our house, so I never saw anybody drink normal. <laughs> um, my dad was a bench drinker, and all I would know is my dad would go out of town, and the next thing is all his clothes would be thrown out. Um, on the front lawn or in the garage. So I'd be, you know, just this little kid picking it all up and going, Mom, why are you so mean? And as a result of that, I was really, really mean to my mom. I didn't understand, you know, alcoholism. I didn't understand my dad was an alcoholic. You know, I was told that he was allergic to alcohol, just like people are allergic to, you know, strawberries or lobster, you know, shellfish, and they, you know, break out in hives. Well, he would break out in jail. And um, I, I didn't get it. And so I always blamed my mom for years, thinking it was all her fault. And so um, by the time I was 12, 13, I, and I don't know because my birthday is in the summer, but I remember that was the summer I changed. And I, um, I found alcohol and I loved it. Now, I used to drink, you know, like my grandpa's Lucky when they had the puzzles on the thing. I would drink those or, you know, pop his pours and have a sip. But, you know, I, the first time I got drunk, I went to, I was staying the night at a girlfriend's house where, you know, her parents thought we were staying at my house and all that kind of story. And um, so we were a bunch of girls there with their parents. And the kids across the street, they were high school kids, they were seniors, and they told us we should go over there and drink with them. And so, okay, let's go. And um, I drank. And uh, they were drinking this stuff out of bottles, which I knew it was alcohol, duh. But um, they had these little shots, and they said, do you want one? I said, well, yeah. So, you know, I drank one or two or three. Not sure how many I drank, but I know I blacked out that night. And I remember bits and pieces of it, of um, walking down the street pretending I was a soldier. And, you know, and then, you know, I woke up and the next morning and I felt really, really bad. And I had a track meet that day. And it was a Saturday morning and it was, it was a big track meet and I didn't do very well. And my dad was like looking at me, he's like, what's, you know, what's wrong with you? And I'm just really tired. We stayed up really late. And, I mean, like you couldn't smell it on me. And uh, so that started it. And I drank like that. I drank and drank and drank until I passed out. And I used to call it falling asleep. But um, alcohol took away all those feelings of less than, of not being a part of. You know, living in an alcoholic home, growing up in one, I always felt different. You know, um, everybody else had the best family. You know, they were the cleavers. And um, we just, it was just chaotic, and I never had any sense of security. I, all, everyone was always better than me, and, and I, just, I just never felt right. And, but in our household, if you dressed right and you, you know, drove the right car, had the right friends, you were okay because it was all about the appearance. So um, that's how I dealt with it is, is you know, look good and you'll be fine. And, and there was just hell going on inside me. And, you know, when I took that first drink, I knew that that's what I wanted. I loved it. And, you know, alcohol took me, took me out of myself. I didn't have to feel. I didn't have to be that, you know, that insecure kid that I really was. And, and even though, you know, most people say that 
that I'm not afraid to get up and speak and stuff. I am. You know, I'm just pretending right now you're all fourth graders. And um, so don't be throwing anything. And, um, you know, but I, I was. You know, I never felt like I belonged. And I had a lot of friends, but I just didn't feel like I belonged. And, you know, through high school, it was, <laughs> I went to Catholic school for 12 years. And uh, I, I was going to be a nun until about third grade. And then, um, and then, uh, you know, in high school it was just like the Friday, Saturday night thing. I couldn't drink on Sundays for the longest time. I just, I don't know why, but I thought that I was really didn't drink on Sunday, so I wouldn't drink on Sunday. Well, my senior year, uh, we were at a party and I drank, and, and I realized that, well, duh, that's when the priest really drinker on Sundays. So I got over that, and it was, you know, um, in college, it was Monday night. I joined a sorority, and it was Monday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and probably Sunday. And how I got through college, I have no idea, but I did. But back in high school, um, you know, I did, like, growing up, I did everything to please my parents. I always wanted my dad's attention. I always felt, with my perception, that he always gave the attention to my brothers that, you know, he'd go golfing with them and he'd do this and coach their team or do this and that. And then he never came to, um, you know, my dance recitals. And, and I danced for 15 years. I had, you know, lots of pictures of me and my mom, you know, at those recitals and none of him. And I, I always just felt like I was, you know, I wasn't important enough. But, you know, he always was with my brothers. And, um, and that, you know, I, it hasn't been until... I don't know, a few years ago, really, that I just don't really feel that anymore. I know it was, it was BS. Um, but anyway, um, in high school, though, um, I will tell one story in high school. I, um, I, I, you know, I went to Catholic school. We drank before the football game, and I was a cheerleader. We were supposed to. Brother Warren was drunk, and he was our advisor. And, and I may have drank with the brothers inside the house, you know. They had a keg on tap. <laughs> they invited us. But, um, you know, our, my senior year in religion class, we had this thing. A friend bet me that I wouldn't drink for 30 days. And uh, why? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I was drinking too much. And I said, sure, I can. So we, we had, you know, the tally marks, and we were erasing them, and, and it was, I got a 12-pack, my own 12-pack. You see, I was really greedy when I drank. I wanted to look like a lady and drink like a lady, but I was a pig. And you were not going to drink my alcohol. And uh, my friends would, like, share a six-pack, like four of them, four girls. I'm like, no, get me the 12-pack. And then they'd find me, oh, can I have a no, you know? And uh, I was, and I was like that with other things too. <laughs> too. And um, but the the deal was is that I would get uh, my own twelve pack, and um, I won. And so that was the night that we had more than beer, and thought it would be really funny to streak when the pizza guy came. So I took a Coors Light can, put it over my or the box, put it over my head, and ran in front of the pizza guy and went ah. And he just stood there, and that pissed me off. So, <laughs> so I drank more, <laughs> and I don't remember the rest of the night. <laughs> but uh, you know, I was a, I was a blackout drinker, and I don't remember. And I remember having to look at my friends' faces or pretend that I didn't really black out, and that they were. I kind of like, okay, what happened? And I kind of remember some of it because I kind of go in and out, but. You know, most of the time I blacked out. And, you know, people were talking one time about, oh, yeah, I drank in Bakersfield. I goes, I don't know if I drank in Bakersfield. Because I would end up sometimes in weird places. I know I ended up in San Luis one time and um, with a toothbrush and a baby suit. I left the party. I remember, I remember them wanting to go, but I didn't know I actually went. So I woke up the next morning. But um, uh in college, it was, I joined a sorority because I thought, all right, now I've got 40 women. I'm going to live with these 40 women. One of them is going to be my friend, you know. And one, one more time, you know, that feeling of being different, of, you know, just not being, just not being quite enough hit me again. And we'd be sitting in a, in a circle, and I would feel like I was physically removed from them. And it just, it's a weird feeling like I just was not there. And so I drank and um, but I was not the worst one in that house. 
there was, we had a girl that got caught, you know, and she had to go to AA. And I, I kind of knew about AA. Yeah, I kind of knew about AA because by this time I had found out my dad was an alcoholic. I was, I was eight, 17 years old when I really found out he was an alcoholic. I went on a trip with him and they almost didn't let him on the airplane and it was, it was terrible. But anyways, um, yeah, but um, I just never got caught, you know, and um, all growing up, when I, even when I moved back to my parents' house and stuff, they, uh, my brothers were so loud and obnoxious when they came in. They hit the wall. There were you no know, and all this kind of stuff. And I came in quietly, you know. And, well, my friends, everybody always spent the night at our house. I had the cool parents. Don't ask me why. My friends loved my parents. could talk to them about anything, but I couldn't. And so everybody always spent the night at our house, and they'd be throwing up in the bathroom, and my mom would come out and say, Gina, you did it again. You know, and I'd be in bed, put my foot down, going, please, this and stop, stop. Or just I'd be out, you know, fully clothed. And um, I, I never got caught. And um, in fact, when I went to uh, rehab, my, well, let me back up. I have a middle brother that he and I always competed, always competed. Um, he's two years older than me, and... Um, we were just, it's just the way we were raised. And, you know, I don't blame my parents. They did the best they could, you know, from how they were raised and everything, you know. I got over, I blamed them, well, let me tell you, I blamed them a long time, you know. Uh, I wouldn't have been an alcoholic if it wasn't for them. And you drink, too, if you had those parents. And, um, but my middle brother, we just always competed. Always. It was one thing after another. He'd get this, I wanted that. I mean, it was, it was terrible. And so, um, you know, he got into alcohol, I got into alcohol. He got into drugs, I got into drugs. But I copied everything he did, they said. And um, so when I got sober, he had gotten sober about eight years prior to me, they said, oh, she's just doing it for attention. I'm like, okay. And so they wouldn't believe it. And really, my mom later told me it was because she didn't want another child to be an alcoholic. You know, two out of three isn't bad. But, um, but, uh, let me go back to college. <laughs> college was fun. It really was. Um, I drank a lot. I drank a lot at the fraternities. I loved the way they drink, drank. They drank like me. They drank a lot. They wanted to have fun and party. And, you know, um, a lot of sorority girls, they just wanted to stay and study or watch TV, and that just was not me. And um, I had this. I, I'm really lucky. I don't know. God has always been on my shoulder watching over me because my because my middle brother all his friends there was a rule that they weren't allowed to date me his friends and they always watched up so I always got home safely um, no matter what and I mean there were times a lot of times I don't remember how I got home and someone said oh so and so brought you home turns you upstairs I'm like oh you know and so you know I was I was really there could have been a lot I could have taken, been taken advantage of. Well, I could have not known it, but, you know. But, um, you know, really terrible stuff. And um, I'm just really grateful that that, you know, didn't happen to me. But um, I, uh, <laughs> one story in college, <laughs> this is embarrassing. I, um, I was a little sister of a fraternity house. And they had this fundraiser that how many shots of beer you can drink in an hour. So they were going out and getting pledges, and I said, okay, well, I can probably, you know, 10 shots of beer in an hour. That sounds reasonable. So I got people, you know, giving me a dime, a quarter, a dollar, and, um, so I, you know, this, this is going to be cool. So um, there's, a bunch, there's about 30 girls there, and I sat, I was the first one there, and um, I liked beer. And the girl, the um, kid was on the other side of the room, and um, they said go, and I just remember taking the little, um, shot and just dipping it into the pitcher and just, you know, I had like 10 shots the first minute. And then they, I remember them moving the keg next to me and, uh, uh, and then I didn't remember a lot. I do remember my, um, my big brother in the fraternity who's actually related to me now taking me outside because I said I want to drink more when I'm full and he stuck his finger down my throat and I just threw up beer and, and I could never ever get sick I, I have no reflux I can't get sick I just gag and turn blue and half out you know but, um, but I threw up that and I all beer and I went back in and drank 
and I ended up drinking 121 shots in an hour. That's 11 beers in an hour for someone, you know, five foot. <laughs> That's a lot. And that was the only time I had like a two-day hangover. And I was so embarrassed to, you know, have to go collect that money. So I went, so I didn't. <laughs> I just kind of hid out. And it's like, I am not going to. And then my name is still on the plaque, you know. They changed the rules, though. You cannot get up from the table. You know, I think back now, I could have gotten alcohol poisoning. You know, and um, I think, yeah, my oldest brother, my oldest brother took me home. I was living off campus. He took me home um, that night, and he was kind of scared, you know, because I, I drank so much. But, um, you know, my daughter's at Fresno State right now, and she's been going over to the AGR house, which her dad is an AGR. Like, please don't go to the SAE house and see my name. That's too embarrassing. Eh, oh, well. Um, you know, uh, I growing up also, I was always told I was going to be this person. You're gonna, you know, you're like our last hope brand. You're the only one who did good in school because I did everything they told me to do. And um, I was gonna go to um, law school. I actually did go to law school or try to. Um, and I, I graduated from um, Fresno State. I don't know how I did. I did. And um, of course, I had a criminology degree. And that was easy, but um, I uh, I went to uh, law school and I lasted a month. I knew it was before I even went, before I even applied to law school. I knew I did not want to be a lawyer, but I always did what someone told me to do. I had no idea who I was because you know everybody always told me you talk this way, you think this way, you act this way. You know, it's like 11 years old, my mom gave me an Emily Post book of etiquette. And I can set a table 10 different ways, like a lot of good that does me now, because I don't even cook anymore. But, um, you know, it, it was always, you know, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And I thought, heck, you know, Lord, great, I'll make lots of money and, you know, I have control. And, well, I got there and hated it, just hated it. And at the same time, my oldest brother was in dental school in Marquette, and my parents had gone to Marquette with him to, you know, get an apartment and all that stuff. And my mind told me, he's more important. You're just going to law school. It's not that big of a deal. He's more important. So I already have that chip on my shoulder. And, um, you know, I get there and and, I'm I'm sitting in class and, I mean, they just drill you. And I'm not smart enough. I just can't figure this out. I can't do it. And I want to die. I mean, I want to die because... My family, you're not a quitter. You started something, you finished it. And, um, you know, I, I played on boys' baseball team, and I'd get seen, and I just would, like, just turn because, you know, I want to walk up. I want to cry. I'm a girl, you know. And I get that look from my dad, and I just turn around and go, oh, you know. And um, you don't quit no matter what. So I couldn't quit law school. I mean, at that point, I mean, this is how bad it had gotten. It was I had rather die. I didn't quit law school and tell my dad I was going to quit. And so um, I I called them um, one night and I said, um, I told my dad that he, they were in Wisconsin, and I said, is that what Marquette is? Yeah. Yeah. I said, um, I, I'm, I don't like law school. I'm, I'm dropping out. And I heard, he says he didn't say this, but I know he did. I heard, don't quit. Where you're not a quitter. Give it a month. Blah, 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 blah. That's all I heard. And a few minutes later, my mom got, got on the phone, and I hadn't said anything to her. And she said, nothing is worth taking your life. And how she knew that, I don't know, because that was the first time that I really thought, you know what? I want out. I don't want to do this. I don't want to let anybody down. I want out. And so I was a chicken. And so the next day, I went to the dean and dropped out, and uh, I went and did my most three favorite things. I went to the state fair. I sat on the horses, smoked cigarettes, and drank beer all day long. And it was fun. And I ran out of money. So I then, and then, you know, us alcoholics, black and white, I came to all of a sudden and said, oh, my God, I just dropped out of law school. What am I going to do the rest of my life? I better know now. Because I always had a backup plan. This time I didn't have a backup plan. And now I'm a loser because I just dropped out of law school and I had nothing to do. College graduate. And you know, I'm going through my mind. And, this guy I was dating at the time, um, I called him, and he said, well, come home. I said, a chan, I'm too drunk. Take the train. Okay. So I got a ride to the, the train, you know, and try, you know, try to sober up before you get home. Well, yeah, all right. 
So I drank all the way home too, <coughs> from Sacramento to Sacramento or Fresno. And he picked me up and he said, um, I said, what am I going to do? I got, I got something to do. I need a job. As if my parents would just, you know, throw me out. And uh, he goes, well, why don't you become a teacher? And I wanted to kill that SOV, and instead I married him. And, um, and actually, it was up until this last year. No, actually, I'm glad I did that. Well, the teachers in my family were fat, dowdy, and wore polyester. And they were mean, and so I did not like it. And then I grew up with the nun, so I was always going to hell. Because I was that kid in class that drove every teacher nuts. Well, not payback. And um, so... Um, so I, I get my two and I moved to Corcoran. Now, Fresno's not really big, but Corcoran's like hitting a brick wall. And and when and, and even though I have what? That's right, she's from there. She's raised there. Um, when and so are you, Jake. <laughs> um, when uh, in high school, you know, I had a lot of friends. I got you know most likely to be remembered. I don't know if that was good or bad, but. <laughs> You know, and craziest driver. Mm. I don't have road rage though. Um, or tow days. Anyway, I didn't um, So, you know, I, but my, my head was thinking this. Okay, I'm moving to a new town, and I've got new people now. So I can start over again. So I, you know, moved to Corcoran, and it didn't take very long before I felt, you know, less than, didn't part of, and it was all... You know, they're dated friends, they're only being nice to me because they have to, and I, you know, poor me, type thing. And um, there's kind of a joke, or I always heard in Corcoran that um, you either have a really good marriage or you drink, and so I drink. And, um, you know, for five years, um, I was miserable down there, and that's when my drinking really got bad. I, um, and the thing is, is that people can't believe, you know, my husband really doesn't drink anymore. But I would have never dated him if he didn't drink like me or did things like me. He did. At one time, he was. So he's not an angel. And, uh, for the record. And, uh, but somewhere when we started having kids, he grew up. And he doesn't have the disease. You know, I have the disease on both sides of my family. Um, so, um, we, we have, um, I started having kids. I had my son, and um, I decided to take a year off from school because I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. And if any of you know me, I can't sit still for more than five minutes. And so that didn't last very long. So I just, I started playing golf again. Well, I was playing Tuesday. Well, then it was Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then it was Tuesdays, Thursdays, then Saturdays and Sundays. And then it was I was getting in trouble at the golf course. I was drinking too much. And, yeah. So... It was cheaper for me to go back to work. <laughs> I would make money that way. And plus I was poor. And so, um, you know, uh, my my son, um, I drove drunk with him. I drove, I rode a bike drunk with him lots of times. Um, I figured, you know, if I was on a bike, it wasn't as bad. But um, then we had um, my daughter. And... Um, that was, that was really, that's when I, I knew there was a problem, but I wasn't going to, actually I knew there was a problem long before, but, you know, I wasn't like my dad and I wasn't like my brother. And I sat in AA rooms for eight years at, you know, the All Welcome Speaker meeting in Fresno, and I'd listen to everybody's story and I, oh, I could identify with, you know, the war stories and their drunk loss, but as soon as people got sober or talked about sobriety, I was done. You know, I didn't want to hear what you had to say, but that seed had been planted, and I knew. And so when I, after I had my daughter, I just, I was just the low, but just really low. Um, I, I didn't know how to be a mom. I didn't know how to be a wife, and I didn't want to. You know, now I have these two kids, and, you know, I thought it was more important for me to find my best friend, her husband. So we would go to places like Lakeside Bar, and off of, was that off the channel? you know. <laughs> or drink with Bill, you know. Um, you know, I was drinking in places that made me feel better, and I did that in college too, or a couple of dives that I go to because it made me feel better. And you know, the truth of the matter is, is that I was just like anybody else. I just had different clothes on, and that I thought it was better, but in reality, I was just as bad. And I really kind of knew that. 
But um, you know, I I didn't want I didn't want to be a, I didn't like the pressure. I didn't know how to be a mom. I just didn't know how to do it. So the easiest thing is not to do it. And um, at this point, you know, um, my husband was kind of getting he wasn't kind of he was getting mad. Um, you know, he had to pick me up at the pizza parlor once in a while. Well, quite a bit. Sometimes I don't remember. But that was you know, Corcoran isn't that big of a town, but. On Thursday night, or Tuesday, but sometimes Mondays, anyway, um, people would play volleyball and then we'd go down to um, the pizza parlor and drink beer and, and drink beer. And I was going down for two beers. Well, that was a couple hours later and it was never two beers and, you know, I couldn't drive home or, I, you know, I rode my bike down there and, yeah, so. And I started to get those looks. And that that look was not that just made me feel even worse. And it got to the point where um, when I, I used to cook dinner, um, you know, I would make make dinner. We we go on to the wine of the month month clip. We always had lots of wines. We had a refrigerator just full of wine. And uh, I you know I can't say I was a wine snob because I didn't really give a shit. You know, I just drank it. You know, and didn't know it all tasted good to me. And, um, oh, yeah, this smells real good. Um, let's drink it. And uh, Stephanie was there for a couple of parties. <laughs> and, um, but what I would do is I would make dinner and open a bottle of wine, drink a glass, and then at dinner, have a glass, and then he'd drink not even a whole glass. And, uh, and then he'd go to bed because he got up so early, and I'd finish off that bottle, go outside, get another one, break it down to where I thought what it would be, take that bottle, throw it out in the garbage, and he never knew I did that, and I did that for a long time. And he didn't even know how the wine was, was, was going. Same as when I got sober, I mean, I was giving that stuff out. So, like, you know, take this, take this, oh, this is really kind of out of here. You know, um, just never home, and just, I was, just not happy, um, driving with the kids drunk, and if I wasn't drunk, I was thinking about getting drunk. You know, I was working, I was still functional, um, you know, I probably had a hangover, but I was working, I showed up to work, I didn't, you know, call in sick, because I was sick, you know, I just never, I always showed up, you know, I did the best that I could, I probably wasn't very too, very nice to the kids, but... Um, you know, but I'll tell you what, that 315, I was out of there and I was thinking, okay, who's going to babysit my kids so I can drink? And she was. And, um, you know, or, you know, can they stay at the babysitter's longer so I can drink? But, you know, she catches me drinking. Not that he really could catch me drinking. It, it, it wasn't about that yet. It was just like, do you always have to go out with your friends? You know? And I hit that too coming in. He'd be asleep and I would just... Pass out. And uh, it got to the point, though, that every, well, let me back up. Eight years before I got sober, um, my dad and brother got sober. And um, now my dad has been trying to get sober. I thought it was the year I was born in 65, but he told me it was the early 60s. And and I would sit in those meetings in Fresno and, you know, listen, and that seat had been planted. And um, I had been seeing a therapist. You know when you go through, my brother went through rehab, and you go through and, and every child or every person in the family gets named something. Well, I was named something, and everybody knew that I had an eating disorder. I mean, it was very apparent. And um, so I was going to this therapist, and Finally, after a year of convincing me that the world would go on without me, um, that I needed to go to this rehab for 30 days, um, I went. But I knew going down there that it was more than just that. And that if I wanted any chance at life, that I had to come clean with everything. And by the end of my drinking, uh, I better tell the last drunk story, huh? Or my, I'll get caught and get in trouble. Um, my last drunk which I knew it would probably be my last drunk. I was um, down at the pizza parlor, and I remember um, drinking. I kind of, there was a lot of people there at one time, and I remember kind of coming through. I looked over. My son was making, he's three years old, he was making pizza boxes with the owner. And then I looked up, and I was drinking with the town drunk. 
And I knew things had gotten bad when I was drinking with the two town drunks. And how could that happen to me, you know? And uh, next thing I know, I kept drinking, though. Next thing I know is I woke up, and I was just shaking. I was starting to get DTs, and I was just shaking. And I said, oh, God, and I ran into Philip's room, and, and everything was okay. He was you know, he was there, nothing on him. I ran out to the car. It parked pretty good, too. And I don't know if I drove it home. And then, um, you know, I looked at me, and oh, I was just shaking. I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. And so many times up to that point, I just wanted to die. And then God just just take me. I cannot do this anymore. These kids would be better off without me. And, you know, through another disease, I was actually killing myself slowly. And it, it's a wonder that I didn't do more damage to myself than, than I did. And um, so when I got down to that eating disorders hospital, I just came clean with everything. And, you know, I went in as the anorexic, anorexic bulimic and I came out an alcoholic. And it was, it kicked me out after two weeks because um, they didn't think I was bad enough. Well, I was afraid to tell them that, you know, I really did want to die. And one time I actually had a plan to commit suicide because I was afraid they were going to take me in a straitjacket. And, I, you know, I watched way too many movies. And um, so I lied, and that's so they kicked me out. Now, if I, you know, if I was in a, an alcohol treatment center, they would have kept me, but I guess I wasn't bad enough. So anyway, um, I get out in that... Um, I remember driving driving back home, and I went to a meeting in um, Tulare, and it was a kind of like, you know, some of those Saturday night or Sunday night, I'm largely for the Saturday night, yeah. And um, there was a gentleman there that had a business in Corcoran that I, I kind of knew, and there was a, another very loud man there that scared me. And, um, you know, and, and I just knew that I needed, needed to stay in meetings, and... Um, and I thought, you know what? Okay, I can do this meeting thing, but I want to go where I'm comfortable. So I went to Fresno. And I, my first two years of sobriety, I went to the Friday night meeting at the Village Group every Friday night. And, um, and I, was, I was going to meetings in Visalia and, and Tulare, but I felt really comfortable there. I felt safe there. I knew those people, and um, they weren't going to lie to me. And they welcomed me. You know, they, I was no longer, I was always Mark's little sister or Ray's daughter. But when I became an alcoholic, I was laying on. And that's what I really liked about them is I was no longer the little sister. And for once, I felt like, you know, I was me. And, and you know, I, I just, I loved them. And they helped me, really helped me. And, um, you know, my, my dad told me um, to read the big book. And I said, it's boring. And he goes, keep reading it. And he, uh, you know, I got a sponsor. He goes, did you talk to your sponsor? It's like, you know, three weeks in the sobriety. I was back a week. I better get a sponsor because I do as I'm told. And I go, yeah, but she hasn't called me yet. He goes, she's not calling it, stupid. I go, oh. So within a couple weeks, it worked out, and I, I got this other sponsor, and I still have her, and I call her the Step Nazi, and she had, wears combat boots. And I absolutely love her. She, she is what I needed. She can hear in my voice if I'm lying, if I'm um, bullshitting, <laughs> or, you know, she just knows me so well. And, you know, um, I, she, everybody says always, you know, it's a program of suggestion. No, she doesn't suggest. She tells me, she goes, you can live in pain or you can just do this. And I found that when I listen to her, I'm not in pain, but I don't always want to listen. Because um, this one time I might rush, you know. Um, but, um, you know, um, the overachiever that I am, I was going to have those steps done within 30 days, all 12 of them, and I'd be done. And I knew you didn't graduate from, you know, AA, but, you know, I was going to have them done, put it behind me, and I could go on with life. And um, that didn't happen. And um, <clears throat> she had to slow me down, and, you know, I was really um, scared about the four steps that, um, I was like, I'm not telling someone but you know I had gotten a relationship with her and a trust and I had you know found my higher power again and had that trust and I just you know I just jumped in and did it and um, I remember her telling me hey is this everything and I said yeah and I was holding back some I added she was are you sure this is everything yep it's everything well it wasn't and about three years after that this issue came up and um, it just 
threw me for a loop. And um, so I had to go back to her and say, okay, let's come out. And that was okay. I wasn't ready back then. But, and, and come to find out, it, it happened exactly when it was supposed to. And after I, you know, worked through that, um, I was sitting in my dad's office, and um, this ex-boyfriend comes through the door. And it was about him. And he was very, very abusive. I was a freshman in high school, and he was just, was, it was horrible. And, um, and I hated him. And, and at one time, my dad was going to go kill him. And um, and he walks through the door, and I just, like, freaked. Like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? There he is. And he came in with someone else who was, where he was out of prison or jail or somewhere. And uh, he was, I don't know, doing some work. So I went into my dad's office, shut the door, and called my sponsor. And I said, he's here. He's just like, who's, what are you talking about, you know? And I told her, she said, just keep reading. You'll be okay, you'll be okay. And all of a sudden, it clicked with me. I said, I have nothing to be afraid of. I said, I'll call you later. And so, I mean, we said a few things. And I walked out there, and I walked right up to him, and I started talking to him. And we were kind of just joking around and whatnot. And he said something about um, about being in high school and how we used to drink a lot or doing something about that. I, You know, that I was sober now. And, he goes, yeah, if we were still together, we'd still be drinking. I said, no, I'd be dead. And he goes, yeah, you're right. And uh, so I took him outside, and, you know, I made amends to him, and, and, and he made amends to me. And, you know, that, that power was taken away, that fear. And, uh, you know, I don't hate him anymore. And uh, that was that was a true miracle for me that that, that could have, because I said I would never talk to him again, and it was ugly. But um, because of this program... And working these steps, you know, having, you know, I want to say having a good sponsor. <laughs> um, you know, I've been able to do so much, so much. And I know for me, it, it's, it's always about me, but, you know, it's not about me. When I'm thinking about the program, when I'm working the program, I'm not thinking about myself. If I'm helping somebody else, I'm not thinking about myself. And, you know, um, I can switch like that, you know, from one side to another really quick. But, you know, I, I learned so much. I learned how to pray. You know, I went to 12 years of Catholic school. I know how to pray. I know every rule prayer there is, and, um, but I didn't know how to pray. So a couple, about three months over, I asked my sponsor, how do you pray? I really want to know. And, and she told me, and um, oh, I go, oh, it's that easy? You know, because I was just not feeling it. And, um, you know, there was a lot, of, a lot of things that I had to ask her that I didn't understand. I, you know, um, I remember one of the first days she told me to open up the big book. First time I met with her, and I opened up the big book, and she goes, what's on the cover? I said, nothing. She goes, exactly, you know nothing. Oh. That's the kind of sponsor I have, yeah. And um, she, uh, but what I needed, I still need her. And... Um, you know, and, and I'd whine that I, you know, oh, no one wants me to sponsor him. You know, I'd five, three, four years sober, and I'm, blah, 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 blah. And then I said, well, maybe you don't have to offer anything. Oh, and she said that to me not too long ago, too. And, um, so, and then I sponsored people, and then it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I am responsible for this person now. And, well, the first one kept going out, going out, and going out. She finally died. You know, but I, it was a really good lesson for me. That wasn't you. <laughs> You're just a pain. But, um, but um, to know that, you know, I had to learn the lessons that, that they may have gone out, but I'm still sober. And that's really what counts. And, and I learned that, you know, sponsorship isn't just one way. It's a two-way thing. And if it's not, it's not sponsorship. And I was, I was told if you don't know your sponsor's number, you don't know your sponsor. And now with phones like we have, <laughs> I still know her number. <laughs> but, um, you know, she told me to get into service. And so I got into service, you know, making coffee. I was secretary um, at meetings, um, you know, gave people rides. This, this is a lot. This H&I work. And um, I remember one time I, was, I went out to Corcoran Prison. You know, all five feet of me. And uh, with an ex-con, 
and a big, big Barbara. And uh, I was so scared going out there, and, and, and actually it was, it was fine, you know, oh, but the scary men. It was fine, and then uh, I got those doors closed out, and I said, I'm done, I'm not going out there anymore. But um, it was a good experience for me. I didn't think I could relate to, to being in prison, you know, and, and I've learned over the years that, you know, I was a lion cheating a thief. And I did a lot of the things that those people did. I just never got caught is what it came to. You know, I got out of um, a DUI. Um, I, well, I didn't get arrested. I got out of it. I passed the sobriety test. I don't know how I did it, but uh, right in front of, right on shot in Willicker's parking lot, if you know where that is. And I mean, two cop cars and I'm sitting there. And the only reason why I was driving is because the guy I was with, one of my brother's friends, had already had two DUIs. So he made me drive. It's 4th of July, and I passed it. In fact, he made me do the alphabet, and I start doing the Greek alphabet, alphabet again. I'm like, oh, crap, you know? So he probably thought I wasn't drunk then or something. So he told me, I was, I was 20, and he told me to go inside Williford and have a cup of coffee. Yeah, that's what I did. I went in there and had more shots, and then realized I had to drive home, and he wasn't going to drive, so I had to drive. And, you know, I got out of the DUI. I, you know, um... I, I didn't lose a drive. I didn't lose anything. What I lost was myself. You know, I was always trying to capture that buzz, that first, that oh, that feeling that Stephanie was talking about, that where you felt good, you felt okay. Alcohol made me feel okay when I could remember it. You know, it, it, I could be whoever I wanted with alcohol. You know, I didn't have to be that little sister. I didn't have to be that daughter. I was... I was tall. <laughs> I was tall, smart, and had big boobs. That's who I was. Yeah. And then I woke up. And, um, you know, but it, it took away that pain and the shame because, you know, alcohol, I'm not going to drink, but I'm miserable, so I'm going to drink, and then I do crap, and so I got shame, and it just goes on and on and on. And it took it away. But, you know, being sober, I don't feel like that anymore, you know, um, I've had some things happen to me recently, and um, you know, a couple of years ago, no, so six years ago, my grandmother died, and I was very, very close to my grandmother, and she was probably the most spiritual person I had ever met. And she wasn't an alcoholic; she was just a good Catholic woman, and she had more pain and tragedy in her life, and she was always happy, always had that spark in her eye, and you know, um, loved people, loved life, and I lost her, and um, and it, it was really hard. And I remember someone in the in the program saying how when their mother had died, how they crawled up in bed when they were dying with her and held her. And I did that with my grandma, and my mom was sitting there like, oh, my God, why are you doing that? And you're going to hurt her. And my brother looks at her like, hello, she's almost dead. She can't hurt her. You know, and everybody left the room, and it was it was just really really cool. And then um, six months ago, I lost my mom, and it was it was really it was really tough. And you know, my mom and I, I hated her for the longest time. You know, because I had to be that perfect girl. You know, I always thought I had to, had to be, and um, well, she told me I had to be too. But, you know, over the years, you know, I, I, uh, I accepted my mom for who she was, and it was hard. And I'd go through times where I was okay with it, and then it was just, it was tough. Because we, we are, we're a sick family, <laughs> and we have that triangle going on. So my mom would call me and tell me about this brother, and then she'd tell me, you know, all that junk. And, you know, I just quit participating in that. And so then I was like Miss AA, and because, of course, they were all drinking, and, you know, um, or they weren't drinking, but they were dry drunk. And, uh, you know, my, the, my mom's last three years, I was really able to get close to her and really get to know her. And I was able to crawl up with my mom when, when she was dying, and um, it was so peaceful. And I, I took the role um, on in my family because I, I do really good under crisis situations. I don't freak out about the words I do. And, um, you know, um, I could handle this and that, and my dad was a, a mess, and my brothers were useless. And so they basically put me in charge, and I was there the whole time, and because they didn't want to stay there. It was too scary and whatnot. And, and so I, they gave me permission, and I'm really good at organizing. So, you know, I did, I did everything, and I took on that role, and I didn't have to feel because I was in charge, and I liked to be in charge. 
and I forgot what it felt like to be in charge like that, and so that was good. And um, but with that came the chaos and the not wanting to feel. And instead of getting closer to the program, I was doing things that I wouldn't have to feel. Well, maybe this will work. Well, maybe this will work. You know, and just not wanting to be the perfect kid. Just wanting to not do the right things for once. So, you know, I get a tattoo. And my husband was not too happy about that. And, um, you know, just stuff that is before I would have never done because I wasn't, I wouldn't, wasn't willing to, you know, pay the price. But it was a very, I had an emotional bottom in sobriety. And I never knew what that was. And um, I do now. And I'm back up on the climb. And I never, never felt I lost my connection with God, with my higher power, that I didn't feel like he was listening. I didn't feel like I used to feel. It was just like, okay, God, I know you're there and I'm praying to you, but you're just not listening or I'm just not doing what you're saying. And, and, and you know, now I have that connection back and it, and it feels good. And, you know, I can, um, you know, part of what I've done for, for 17 years, or a little over 17 years, you know, I've done practically almost every day. And, um, you know, I get up in the morning and, and I, I, the first thing I do, I do not hit my knees. I don't. I take a shower. I have some coffee first. <laughs> you know, it's when I, you know, a little while later I do my prayer and, and daily meditation. And then I usually talk to at least one person in the program. And I've done that for years. And, um, you know, I was noticing I just was going through the motions. Just like, okay, I read it. What does it mean? I couldn't even tell you what it meant. And, um, and so finally, you know, I just end up. And that's because I was really not wanting to feel anymore. And that really scared me. And it wasn't about drinking, but it, I just didn't know what was going to happen. So one more time, you know, I went back to the basics. That's when my sponsor told me that uh, someone had wanted me to sponsor them. And she said, no, this wouldn't be a good time. I don't, you have nothing to offer. <laughs> that hurt. But she was right because I needed to get back to the basics, you know, and, and I have. And, um, and then a couple weeks ago, um, Someone asked me to sponsor, and I go, can I now? And she goes, yes, I think you can now. <laughs> I still have to get her permission. Because, you know, I don't always think right. You know, I know how to be a drunk. I know how to drink. I know how to screw up my life. But I don't always know how to stay sober. And I need you guys to help me keep sober, you know. And um, you've never let me down. You know, when I was going through this, this craziness, you know, I would get phone calls all the time. I hear, you know, people text me or leaving me messages, you know, I'm praying for you. You're going to be okay. Because I thought I was the only one going through this. I didn't think anybody with time ever went through this. Until I finally said something, and then I found out, oh, everybody has. You know, but I'm still, you know, one more time, the only one. I'm unique. And, um, you know, today, today is good. Today is really good. I, I'm getting back to living one day at a time. You know, um, my my dad's drinking again, and my brother's drinking again, and I want I don't want to say it's okay. <laughs> it's not okay, but it is. It's uh, no, I've I've let it go. I've let it go. It's it's none of my business. And the reason why I get so mad is because I'm so afraid they're going to die of alcohol. They're going to die an alcoholic death. That's what scares me is losing them. And but I've got to let them do what they need to do. And um, my dad called me. Um, this morning and told me he had a date last night. And a couple of weeks ago, I freaked out over something because he wanted to bring a lady friend, a friend though, to um, my daughter, had, um, whatever, had, her team had a fundraiser and I about, I mean, I didn't about, I lost it. I mean, I'm boohooing to my father. You know, but I didn't let my dad know any of this because, you know, I don't break down in front of him. He thinks I'm so strong. All of, My whole family thinks I'm so strong. They think I'm the nicest person. They have no idea. And um, and <clears throat> I find, I called my dad and I said, you know what, after talking for at least an hour to people, this wouldn't be a good time. And I said, I just can't do that. That's, that's just not right. And, you know, thinking about it, you know, he's lonesome. It's none of my business. It really is none of my business. Well, he told me last night he had he had asked a lady friend to go see um, this concert, and he loved it, and he had a really good time. And in fact, the lady is a friend of mine's mother, and um, you know I was okay with it. 
You know, that's growth for me because it's none of my business. You know, if my, my dad has the right to be happy, I just wish he was over and happy. But, you know, I don't get to control the world today, and thank God. And, um, you know, if it wasn't for Alcoholics Anonymous, I don't know where I'd be. You know, I, I really don't. And this, this program has given me more than I, I've ever dreamed of. I didn't think I could have what I have and or get back what I have. You know, and I'm not talking about the material things. I'm, I'm talking about the, the serenity, the peace, the balance. I always wanted balance in my life, and I was always a super, you know. And, um, you know, I find balance here, and I find true friendship. And I have people here that really love me. And, you know, and I've got a lot of love to give to people. There's so much unconditional. And, um, you know, you... I, I was told here not everybody was going to like me, and that just stopped choking me, too, because, you know, I wanted everybody to like me, but, you know, I don't like some of the people. You know, I love you, but I don't like you. And I I love you. But, um, you know, and, and that's okay. That's reality. But, um, you know, I, I, do, I do my best to, to get along with people and not to take their inventory or, you know, or judge. But, um... When I'm, uh, like I said, when I'm thinking about myself, I am not working a program. And, you know, I, I really believe, I firmly believe this, that what kept me sober yesterday kept me sober yesterday. And what keeps me sober today is prayer and meditation, talking to other people, getting into service. You know, sometimes I'll even read from the big book that I have to start all over every single day. That's how it works for me. It's a day-by-day program. And if I start thinking, you know, a year from now, six months from now, and I have to plan some stuff, but if I start thinking about that, then I'm lost, and then I lose it, and I can't stay in the moment, and I miss it. And, I, you know, I don't want to miss anymore. Yeah. I've missed enough, and I don't want to miss anymore. And with that, thanks for letting me share.